Welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson. This is a special series on COVID-19. If you're listening to this, you're probably aware that we're in the midst of a global pandemic. And I wanted to use my professional experience as a public health professional with a master's in public health to engage with other health professionals, both in the arenas of medicine and public health, to talk about this global pandemic talking about its impact, the vaccine, what we all can do to keep each other safe. On this episode, I sat down with Leslie Arsenault of the Louisiana Department of Health, and she talks a bit about her time on the COVID team. She's been with that COVID team since day one, and a little bit about her experience and her thoughts about the pandemic. Let's listen in. Uh, Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to this, this is the Victory Podcast, and I'm on with Leslie Arsenault, who is an epidemiologist from the Louisiana Department of Health, and she's been on the COVID team since day one. Um, So we'll get into a little bit of uh, talking with her, just to kind of set the scene for our listeners, sort of where we're going to go today. Um, We'll talk with Leslie. She'll introduce herself, a bit about her background, how we know each other. We're really honestly just meeting. Uh, So I think we've known each other for all of, uh, let's go with 30 minutes. And uh, then we'll talk a bit about what it's been like for her (laughs) on the COVID team, um, what she's seen, how they handled the early days, how are things going today, um, what are some, some of the things they're seeing from an epidemiological standpoint, and any other thoughts on COVID-19. So thanks, Leslie, for being on the podcast. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. So maybe you can um, tell the listeners a bit about, you know, how we know each other and some of your professional background. Sure. Yeah. So um, we, I was connected through, uh, we have mutual master's degrees, right? From the same alma mater, uh, LSU Health mm-hmm. in New Orleans. Uh, the People typically associated with the med school, but there's a nice little school of public health there, <laughs> and we share the campus. Mm-hmm. So, um, anywho, but I graduated with my bachelor's degree at UL Lafayette uh, in biology um, a short three years ago, something like that, 2017, you know, somewhere around that time. Um, and two weeks later, I jumped straight into my master's degree in public health uh, in New Orleans. We mo- I moved to New Orleans uh, the day of my graduation for my bachelor's degree. <laughs> the car was packed up. It was crazy. Wow. <laughs> so, um, but it, it was a whirlwind, and I honestly wouldn't have it any other way. Um, my master's degree was really, really fun. Um, I was able to get some, I made some fantastic connections during my master's program, um, which led me to my job now. Um, I did an internship with the Department of Health in their infectious disease section. Um, And I was doing some student work, mostly with enteric disease, which is usually what they need the most help with, because that's pretty common, you know. Um, And after my internship, I'd just pop my head in every now and then, just be like, I'm still here. And if you have a paid position, I'll take it. So So when you, so maybe real quick for enteric disease, for, for those who aren't like you and I in the world of public health and epidemiology, what is that kind of, what's an example of some enteric diseases? 
Sure, yeah. Um, most common is salmonella. That's usually what people hear of the most. Um, during the summertime, we get like the good waterborne stuff like Shigella and Giardia, which is a parasite. Um, it's all the things that cause you vomiting, diarrhea, upset stomach, everything the Pepto-Bismol commercial advertises for. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I mean, not good for the diseases or the people who get them, but a good, good explanation there on your part. And so once I got my degree, you know, it was full time and the pandemic was not long after. And so I just got kind of baptism by fire, right? That's how this rolls. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So let's talk a bit about that. So you're new in the Department of Public Health. I mean, Department of Health with Louisiana doing epi, infectious disease, epi, some epidemiology that is for for folks um and next thing you know this uh global pandemic arises and sort of what that looks like so maybe you can kind of tell us about some of the early days um you know we have and as this is coming out as part of a series so you'll hear more from other physicians who are in like the new jersey area in in like april time frame early on in some of their pandemic response and there's a similar, very large first wave that happened in, in the Louisiana, uh, southeastern United States. So maybe you can talk a bit about what that was like. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like it it was one of those things where it happened slowly, but then all at once. Um, I think everyone's eyes were overseas for a long time. Ours were, you know. Um, we were in meetings every day with CDC talking about what would happen if it got here. And then the first case in the U.S. happened. And I think we were a little shell-shocked. Um, I think everyone was. And so we started, the day we found out that Louisiana was going to be able to start testing at our state lab um, was kind of a blessing and a curse because we knew it was like, okay, this is it. This is when this gets crazy. Like, <laughs> so this is, it's going to be a little wild from here on out, you know? Um, and it was, uh, as, as soon as we were able to run a COVID test, the phones were ringing off the hook. Um, I, I don't think it, we had three on call phones that would roll over to each other at one point. Um, just cause I mean, if I would answer the phone, I'd miss 10 in the process. Um, and it was just, wow. it was kind of, yeah, it, it was madness for a while, um, you know, and but I don't think anyone even in school in experience can prepare for this. I really don't, you know, um, but I, I think I'm extremely lucky to have been on a team with such fantastic people. Um, our I think our health department is very unique. And the fact that it's very centralized in a lot of other states, it's not that way. So we were a very tight knit group. And I think that is what has helped us take this on and respond so well and so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So in your <clears throat> in your role, um, I was looking and trying to do a little bit of research on my end. So you're over kind of region six for for. Um, it, at least in a general sense, what, what sort of areas, is that cover a good chunk of, is that more New Orleans centric or like Lafayette centric or Shreveport or sort of, or is that cover maybe a little bit of everything? So um, 
the state's broken into nine health regions. Um, Region six uh, encompasses eight parishes in the state, uh, and I oversee those eight parishes, and I'm what you would call central Louisiana, so kind of just that very middle, the belt, if you will. Um, New Orleans and Baton Rouge are regions one and two. That gives you any idea of kind of, you know, it's a little mixed matched and broken up in a weird way, but Mm -hmm. it's supposed to kind of be given equal workload to people who are assigned to the regions, you know, based on population and whatnot. But yeah, I'm I'm central Louisiana. I cover eight regions. um, One of which is my home parish born and raised in Voiles. (laughs) So that's been fun getting back to my roots and giving back that way has been very rewarding. Nice. So yeah, I imagine I mean, I, from afar, so just for context for myself, I'm a native, I consider myself a native, born in Virginia, but grew up my formative years in New Orleans. Um, so from Louisiana, even though I don't sound like it, which is what I get all the time when I go home, um, until I throw a y'all out there and then I, I get to pass through. That's my passport. Um, but being out in the Bay Area, that's right. kind of here. <laughs> Being out in the Bay Area, we sort of uh, hear things, of course, more on the national news circuit. So we talked um, and sort of tried to keep in it in the loop just of where all different regions are doing in general. So how do you think, um, at least you could probably speak more specifically to the region you're over, but how do you think um, Region 6 or Louisiana as a whole has responded um and I'm not so much, maybe a mixture of from you all side, but even of the way people are responding or receiving the different phases and 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 activities that are put in place to, in order to try and um, flatten the curve. Right. Um, I think in the beginning, there was so much unknown from everyone's standpoint, right? I mean, even us, it, it was you know, coming up with guidance was more or less, okay, what do we know about flu and general coronavirus? And let's meld those two things together for infection control. And that's our guidance for now. Because I think we've been kind of spoiled, in a sense, um, as a general population. Uh, We've never had to wait on science before, really. I mean, truly, none of our generations have really seen that, you know, Um, you know, none of us have had to wait for an antibiotic to be created or wait for a vaccine to be created. I mean, the majority of us grew up and those things already existed and that that level of understanding in science was already established. So people don't understand that that took decades. (laughs) And so now we have this new virus and it's still going to take decades. (laughs) We have a lot of technological advances and research is, you know, leaps and bounds to what it was 60 years ago. But at the end of the day, science takes time. Um, And I think that was the hardest thing to get across and still is. That is definitely still a huge obstacle is people want answers right now, right now, right now. But for me to feel confident in what I'm telling you, it is going to take time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been the biggest obstacle from the beginning. Um, there's also has always been a lack of trust between 
government and community, especially I find in Louisiana where the majority of our communities are made up of rural communities. So it's just like that extra barrier, that extra gap, asking them to, you know, stay home from their job and not work. Uh, Don't go see your loved one in the nursing home. Don't, you know, this is all coming from the government who they already don't trust. And now we're Mm -hmm. dictating sense what they're doing with our, with our daily life. And, you know, so it's just like almost creates the the chasm gets bigger. Right. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's trying to find those small connections and build trust in a community. And that's really where our efforts have been focused. I find um, over the last few months, I think, you know, it was a big advantage that I'm able to oversee a region that I grew up in. Cause I don't know that I would, have a strong foothold in the community if I if people didn't already know me if they mm-hmm. couldn't if I if whenever they asked me the question who's your grandfather <laughs> and they didn't know him <laughs> I you feel know, yeah, like, I don't know <laughs> I don't know about this Leslie girl she oh, yeah exactly I don't know her people I don't and yeah <laughs> just to give context for people across the world Louisiana as a whole whether you're in the middle of Louisiana New Orleans Shreveport any parts of the boot is very family oriented people. A lot of people never leave Louisiana. A lot of people have never really traveled very far outside of the Southeast region. Um, And it's all about like, you could, you could go to MIT, Harvard, Stanford, whatever you get home. I come home. It's all about what high school did you go to? It's all about, you know, who's your mama and them. Um, and that's literal phrases that you will hear. And I can't even do a central Louisiana accent justice, uh, at any way, shape or form, but it's all about the sense of community. So it's, that's an, I uh, definitely appreciate and want to try and give context for people from other parts of the country. Cause it's definitely not necessarily, it's a different challenge. I think in, I mean, I'm not in the public health department, but I work in kind of occupational health. In, in out here on the West Coast, so you, you know, you kind of see some of the public sentiments, but it's a lot of me, 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 I, 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 because people are from all over the world, really. And so you have all these mm-hmm. different cultural clashes that sort of happen. And this, I think, less of that challenge is a different, it's definitely challenging, um, but definitely some of that you still see, though, with that, that lack of trust and the sort of, you can kind of look at that science and waiting on science. I kind of get excited by it as a scientist, right? Because it's, we're on the cutting edge of information in a way that's like never been in a world of public health in a way that, that information is now being shared with people because of the technology that exists. But then also people are actually very curious, at least, at least that I've seen, and maybe you have a different um, perspective because they're very curious and starting to learn things about science, like how are vaccines made? How, you know, how does diseases transfer? Why is it so important? Like people are actually starting to wash their hands properly (laughs) after (laughs) decades of, we've been talking about washing hands in the world of public health education for probably literally a century now, if not longer. Um, and now it's, all, it's kind of an aha. We all have that like um, poster from middle school of the how to wash your hands, like embedded into our brain. Like whenever, you know, it's it's there for sure. No, it has been 
I have to remember just in the madness of all this, I often have to just take a step back and remember that this, this is history. Like everything that has happened this year is it is going in a history book. Um, and one of those moments was this week, you know, um, I got the text yesterday afternoon that my first healthcare worker in region six was vaccinated. And I just like, I turned off all my, my phones. I like, I like shut my computer and I was just like, wow. You know, it's light (laughs) speed. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. Yeah. So it's really, it's humbling, honestly, to watch the work that public, that the public health sector has done in this last year. Um, and to know that I am just like some minute fraction of it makes me so proud of myself. <laughs> and I hate to, you know, make it about me, but because I have a team of people who are just absolutely incredible that I work with every day and I would not have been able to do this without, you know, it's been, it's been a whirlwind, but I have learned so much and just about everything, about epidemiology, about the workforce here in Louisiana, about what it really means like to be a community and to come together to support each other. There's been so many lessons out of this, and I know it has been a hard year for everybody, but there have been so many takeaways that are positive for me from this year that it's hard for me to focus on the negative. Yeah. What would you say you're like, I don't know. And this is a little bit more putting you on the spot. So feel free to take some time to pause the thing. So you mentioned the positive takeaways. What would you say like top three takeaways that so far in this, what have we been at this since March? So nine going on 10 months of this world when that is a global pandemic. Um, would you say? Yeah. Um, Let me think. Okay. So first of all, I definitely think the biggest thing, you know, professionally for me was I learned that I had to trust my gut, that I went to school for six years for a reason. I, I was given a master's degree for a reason. I have work experience that contributes to this expertise and this position I'm given for a reason. And this pandemic has forced me to trust my gut. And I realized that I'm actually pretty good at my job. <laughs> and so is everyone <laughs> <that's> around me, <laughs> you know? And I really don't think that I would feel that way if I were, if this had not happened. And so I am eternally grateful for that because it pushed, this pandemic has pushed me as a public health professional to just run with it. Just go, you know, trust yourself, trust what you've been taught and, and always just like knowing that I was doing the right thing. Like, and it just all worked out. It does. And to this day, if I ever, you know, if I'm feeling pressured in a situation and I cave in, it always backfires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll get a call about and uh so trusting my gut that was number one number two um it has I'm a very uh I work a lot uh even before corona I'm a very work-oriented person it's just in my nature Um, I get that from my father for sure um just a workaholic and this pandemic has forced me in my personal life to learn to separate 
personal and work and that there has to be a line for mental health reasons, <laughs> you know? Um, and so that, I think I, I needed to be pushed in that way to get there for myself personally. So that's also been another good thing. I don't know about the third one. That's hard. Two, two Mm -hmm. is good. Those are two good ones. So, (laughs) yeah, I tell you, I hear you on the trust your gut, and it's a, it's been an interesting dynamic. So you're working more in the governmental, public health sector. I essentially take what people and similar folks like yourself send down informationally and say, okay, so how does that apply to our work site and how do we best implement those activities? Um, Using my both hats of realizing the business case, but more the bigger hat being as a public health professional, even, even though I'm working in industry, it's still that, that, that auspice. So I've had where with the masking changes and wear a mask, don't wear a mask, what masks are available, what can we have access to? Are we considered critical um, infrastructure as our state, California, defines it? Um, We have things like a current travel um, mandate in in effect in the county of Santa Clara, which just for context, you were mentioning parishes, counties, parishes, the same. Every other state calls them counties, but in Louisiana, it would be a parish. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it's been a challenge just because like you said, but yeah, we're, we're living history and we're at the forefront of science and information and it's literally new information is coming out day to day. Um, whether it be on the disease itself, the long-term effects as we're starting to learn more of post COVID long COVID. Um, and so we'll be talking about this and you'll probably be writing papers on this and things for 10 years to come. So our challenge has been, um, we have, especially as large as California and even, even more specifically the Bay area is people commute from all over and each County, they, the Bay area has tried to be aligned as best able, but then some don't. And so it's sort of like, okay, but I live in this other County and they, they say I can do X, Y, and Z. And this other County says I can't. And it's like a whole thing. So anywho. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, we have, (laughs) I, it's, I think what's been very difficult, you know, not just like guidance varying from different County to County, you know, but also just, how much the guidance has changed so rapidly. I feel like I I get the community used to one set of things and everyone understands, you know, and I educate everyone. And then the very next day I find out that something's different and I feel like I have to backtrack. So that has happened on so many occasions during this pandemic, you know, Mm -hmm. for sure. For sure. The CD, because the CDC and the information is coming out hot off the press. It's like, yeah, I know that we said, you know, only N95s will really protect you, which is true. It's not untrue. It's just like there is some level of protection that exists in cloth masks now. Some of the research is saying there's some mild protective sure. effect. So stuff like that, we're like, oh, but then before it's like, look, I can only tell you as the information comes out, I didn't, I cannot predict what the information will be. So it's challenging. Yeah, exactly. It is very challenging. Um, and then also, you know, this information's coming out and 
I also have been trying to get people to understand that there's also, you know, a, a kind of a stark contrast or difference between medicine and public health. And so, <laughs> you know, they're like, well, I, I wore my cloth mask, you know, so I'm not exposed. And it's like, their doctor would be like, yeah, you're probably right. And then, but from a public health standpoint, I'm like, yeah, but the study said that it provides some protection, but I don't Not know if 100%. it's enough to get you quarantine. And I don't know, you know, so it's like yeah. trying to differentiate between that as well. And so I can't, you know, I've been just trying the to keep an open mind and just be so vigilant and understanding that this all makes so much sense to me because I, I live in it. Uh, you know, and, but I can't imagine what this looks like from, you know, like I want to say my dad's point of view, who's an electrician who just watches the news at night, (laughs) you know, um, and how that must feel. And it must be just so confusing and look like we kind of don't know what we're doing, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. And I try to, it, it, it's funny because our, like, for example, our facilities teams, we sort of have those conversations. They're like, which is it and what's going on? And it's like, you know, I understand the frustration and you have to kind of like turn on your empathy button and just really be like, I understand it could be frustrating and, and confusing and all that. So yeah, it's a challenge if nothing else, man, I tell you. So as we're wrapping up, because I don't want to delay you long, I know you're you're two hours ahead of me, and it's probably close to dinner time. And I'm sure your spouse is ready to murder you if you stay on for much longer. Um, <laughs> so um, maybe for like a closing thoughts on COVID, and maybe um, any if you had two things to tell the world about, you know, what can they do to kind of prevent transmission or trying to catching this disease, catching this virus, this pandemic virus. So. Yeah. Um, first I would say trust the process. Um, I, you know, we've hit on it multiple times in this podcast that, that, you know, we're making history and, you know, y'all have to, you know, the public has to remember that you were seeing things come out as quickly as we are. So the day you see it on the news is the day I saw it on the news. I, I, I didn't get it two weeks ago and you're the ones just finding out about it. So, I mean, y- y'all are getting things as fast as we are and it takes time to digest. And so trust the process and trust that all of the recommendations are truly, it may not seem like we're trying to push in a direction to get back to normal, but that's actually exactly what we're doing. <laughs> You know, I'm just going to, number two, I'm going to preach what we've been preaching since March. Wear the mask, wash the hands, socially distance. (laughs) No, I definitely agree with those two points um, for sure. We all have to do this together. um, And the the faster and more kind of compliant, so to say, we are with those things is the faster and more, the sooner we'll get to um, back to a new normal. So well, thank you so much, Leslie, for spending some time with me, fighting through the technological challenges we had this evening. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, thank you for your service. I feel like I feel like uh, I was on with Dr. Bent, one of the other folks you'll hear on this series, um, and she says, you know, this whole working, she was doing some ICU stuff and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff early on in April. It's like it's like a war zone, right? We're all kind of 
off the cuff, responding, trusting our gut, like you said, and you just wake up and it's like, okay, what is it today? And are we ready? And how are we going to adapt? That's exactly it. You know, and so I don't know, I'm sure you remember from, I don't know how different our programs have had changed from when you got your master's and when I got mine, but you know, on, on every Friday we had those, you know, what we came to call them as in the bush talks. It was all these people who were out there who would come and talk about their experiences of working in epidemiology and public health in just dire situations. And, you know, one of which was someone from Louisiana, a doctor from Louisiana who had worked on the Ebola response in Africa, you know, and he was just like, you, you can, you ball up and throw away everything you learned in school and you pretty much start from scratch. And that was definitely how this felt. Um, I definitely relied on some of the basic epi principles at the beginning of this, but you just kind of have to throw away whatever sense of normalcy or regular public health response that you think, you know, and you start over. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it is definitely a war zone and just new territory all around. Absolutely. All righty. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, Continue the great work you're doing there. And um, well, thank thank you you. for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks again to Leslie Arsenault for sitting down with us here at the Victory Podcast. Really insightful and um, really good information there that she shared. As always, Please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and even your enemies. We are on all your favorite podcasting tools. So the easiest way to find our podcast is go to our website at thevictorypodcast.com and visit the Where to Listen page. There you can link directly to your favorite podcast platform to find this podcast and share it with others. You can also support the Victory Podcast in two ways. You can join our Patreon at the various Patreon levels. There you get access to exclusive content, early content, um, as well as other great little goodies. Also, you can buy some Victory Podcast merchandise. We have t-shirts and stickers, all kinds of great knickknacks for you and your family to share. And that's a way you can support the Victory Podcast. I'll end this episode as I do every episode Every problem has a solution. It's whether you're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious.